Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We're going to come from Matthew chapter 16, verse 4, because tomorrow's sermon is going to encompass this, but we wanted to introduce this theme today. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 5, Moses said, His people have acted corruptly toward him. This is their defect. They are not his children, but a devious and crooked generation. Moses was speaking about the abundance of signs and wonders that God had shown Israel, and yet they still defied him. Now Jesus, having fed thousands of people twice, having healed the lame, the, 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 lame, the blind, having fulfilled everything that Isaiah prophesied right in front of them, now they've asked for more signs. And so he brings back the theme from Deuteronomy 32, verse 5, to rebuke the Israelites, particularly the Pharisees. This is Matthew 16, verse 4. Again, it's included in our sermon tomorrow. An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Then he left them and went away. In an abundance of signs, just like Old Testament Israel, they asked for more. They were unsatisfied. They had been surrounded by evidence of Jesus' messianic lordship, and yet they would have the gall to ask, what sign are you going to give us? They had eaten the bread. <laughs> they had watched Jesus heal the paralyzed. They had observed Jesus healing a man with a shriveled hand and, um, and rebuked him for it on the Sabbath. They had more than enough proof. This is why the two descriptors come into play, evil. And then he uses the word adulterous. Now that might sound odd. Let's talk about that. Evil comes up because they had committed blasphemy. We saw this earlier in our sermon series. They committed blasphemy because in full face value evidence of Jesus' ability to heal, they still called him evil. They ascribed to the work of Jesus evil, conflating the Holy Spirit, conflating Jesus, defaming the Father by accusing him of having accomplished these miracles through the power of Beelzebul. And so, man, after all of these signs and wonders, they still call good evil. Now we're going to see this in Isaiah. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. We see a lot of that in our culture today, by the way. So this is the evil that's described, an evil and adulterous generation. What about adulterous, Jesse? The one who commits adultery has everything. All right, if you are a married man and you embrace in intimacy another woman, you are forsaking your bride. God has given you everything a man could ever crave or desire more than you and I deserve in our brides. And when we would forsake them for something else, for something sinful, we rebel, we commit adultery. And in a similar fashion, this generation, as Jesus describes, particularly the Pharisees and their ilk, they have been given everything that they could possibly need. Jesus has literally fed the thousands. He has healed numerous people. He has spoken in fulfillment of the law of God. They were present for the apex upon which the old covenant would pivot into the new in the Sermon on the Mount. They had been given everything that they needed and more than they deserved, and yet it wasn't enough for them, and so they sought more. This is why it's described as both evil and adulterous. But I want to zoom in on a third word in this passage. That's the word demand. An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign. 
It's not evil or adulterous to ask God to miraculously heal someone. I encourage you to do that, especially if you've prayed for it before and God didn't grant it. It is not always God's will that someone be healed. See our series in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. It is not. Contrary to a popular teaching today, it is not always God's will that somebody would be healed. But if you have asked God for a miracle of healing, God did not grant it. I applaud your faith when you go to him again and ask for another miracle that demonstrates incredible and beautiful faith. But your resolve is steadfast before you pray the prayer. You already know it's a foregone conclusion. Your response was already predetermined. You're going to continue to praise God. You're going to praise God right there when your loved one is healthy. You're going to praise God right there next to the hospital bed. You can still praise God right there by your loved one's grave because God is worthy of worship when they're healthy, when they're sick, and when they're with Him. He's worthy of worship. And so when we go before God and we ask for signs, we ask for wonders, we ask for healings, we as a church are asking for quite a miracle as well. We as the Redemption Church, we're praying that God brings revival to this area. That is nothing short of asking God for a miracle. But it's a foregone conclusion. We're going to praise Him nonetheless because we are praying for a miracle. We are not demanding it. Would you search your heart right now and consider that you may have demanded something of God? as though holding your own belief in Him hostage. Consider the futility of that posture. Do not demand a sign and wonder, especially in the manner of the Pharisees, having been given an abundance of signs, having called said signs evil, committing blasphemy, and then, as though you had the authority to do this, requiring God to perform a miracle for you. This is what Jesus describes as evil, and adulterous. Let's get together as a church tomorrow and let's delve into the bigger picture of this chapter of Matthew. We're at a pivotal point in the text. We're going to see Jesus shift. We're going to see Jesus predict his own coming death and crucifixion and, and cru crucifixion, death and resurrection. We're going to see Jesus begin to change things at this point in Matthew's collection of his teachings. It's going to be powerful. Bring a friend.